Hello. Oh, it's me. It's you. Okay, sorry. I was looking at the audio levels. Hi, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Black Hat Chat. Thanks for joining us today. This is where two witches get together and talk about a wide variety of topics from the perspective of people who've been around a bit. A little bit. A bit. We're a bit of old witches. This is Lee Johnson, and I am Rev Kai. And even though we have rather different paths and different perspectives on many things in witchcraft, uh, we like to come together and share our views and discuss uh, usually what has turned out to be several sticky topics. So today's sticky topic is cultural appropriation. So if you're watching this on YouTube, give us a thumbs up. And if you're watching us on Twitch, please give us a heart. Those follows and likes really help us and help get the uh, videos out to other people. Um, if you're in the chat, I see lots of people saying hello. Hello everyone in the chat. Oh, Fluellen and Andy. I can kind of pronounce that. Not well. What, the Fluellen? Yes. <laughs> that. I'm not British. <laughs> it's Welsh. <laughs> eh, genetically, I'm Welsh, but yeah. my tongue isn't. <laughs> so, <laughs> you can join us today in the chat live, but you can also join us for regular discussion in a community group we have on Facebook called the Wildwood Temple. Those links are down below in the description. And if you like what we do and would like to support us, you can throw a few bucks in our tip jar at Buy Me A Coffee or on Patreon. Both of those are under the name Black Hat Chat and those links are down below. So, cultural appropriation. Mm-hmm. One topic that makes everyone very happy to discuss. Oh yeah, but I think it needs to be discussed. That's the that's the that's the, probably the most difficult part. Absolutely. Well, after our our conversation on shadow work last week, uh, we've all learned that the icky, sticky, uncomfortable things should not be you know tucked away and like shoved into your liver to nurture for twenty years <laughs> and grow something terrible. Best address it head on. Yes. All right. So, cultural appropriation, by definition, is when a majority group takes a practice or a culture or something from a minority group. And by definition, it cannot happen the other way around, which is, uh, I found a lot of people actually get confused with. Um... Now, I'm going to start off with a very light one, which actually brings up a, a much deeper question. So, Damon asked, how do you feel about the celebration of Samhain by pagans who do not have Irish ancestry? And I think this results in the bigger question of how do we define within the pagan communities and the witchcraft communities what the differences between a minority and a majority group are? Because uh, the word, I mean, the word Samhain itself is, is Celtic, but all pagans across the board are now using uh, the word Samhain. Well, so there's a lot of factors going into this question. The first is minority and majority, which also speaks to overculture and subcultures. 
you know, paganism is a subculture. It is not a dominant culture. It's not an overculture. Mm. But there are definitely minority and majority groups within the subculture of paganism. Another thing that's in this question is ancestry mm. and its relationship to the idea of culture and privilege. And then there's another aspect here, and that is the term, should they celebrate? Well, how? Yeah. You know, I mean, for a lot, a lot of these things, if it's something internal and private and, you know, sacred to you, mm. you're not, you're not publicizing it in some way. Rarely does that end up being cultural appropriation. Yeah, I mean, I did ask the question, uh, is he referring to the actual word itself or the actual practice of it being a seasonal festival? Um, and he is referring to it, referring to the word itself. Um, yeah. And because it is Celtic in, in origin. Uh, I mean, the beginning of winter or the end of summer um, is called various things in different traditions. Uh, it's been called All Hallows' Eve, which a lot of traditional uh, witches use. Um, it's obviously been, Ameri I think, Americanized into Halloween. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, he obviously brought up Samhain because for every, anybody watching the Northern Hemisphere, I'm in the Southern Hemisphere, and Damon is as well. Therefore, we are celebrating Samhain this weekend. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's Valpurgis knocked up here. There you which go. I think those two are actually some of the closest those two hinge points, mm. Samhain, Valpurgis knocked, are when things really line up. Very, very similar energies. Mm. Uh, but anyways, so, uh, well, there's another aspect to asking, can you use the word? And that is history and timeline. Cultural appropriation involves a factor of oppression for the minority group, mm. right? The majority group can do it and the minority group can't. So that is oppression. If that minority culture is historical, then there is no oppression as that factor. So then people often talk about inheritance and that's where we get into ideas about ancestry. Hmm. who has a right to those historical practices because you can't go to the the culture and say is this a problem they can't voice that it's a problem because they're gone they're in history and so then we have you know the inheritors of the culture and how that active culture now views the use of their practices the transmission of their practices we talk about closed practices and open practices, you know, and that's a call that each cultural line makes about how their tradition works and how it's closed or how it's open varies from culture to culture. Mm. Yeah. Um, this is where I, I'm, I'm having a bit of a problem though is because as we say, when it comes to minority and majority within the pagan communities themselves, where can we draw the line? Um, oh, I mean, I'm 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 a demonolator, which would put me into a minority group. 
um, you know, even a lot of uh, witchcraft traditions and groups sort of shun the demonolater and the satanist and all those types of practices which can fall into witchcraft and magic, obviously depending on how they're practicing and how they view things. Um, but myself, I'm not in a minority group. I'm a white guy. <laughs> no? Well, and so this is privilege we're talking about. The mm. lack of certain obstacles. That's what privilege is. So you can only do cultural appropriation if you are granted that privilege by the overculture. And all of that granting of privilege in our modern racist societies is based on phenotype which is how you look and what people think you are when they look at you. Nobody, you know, starts going around and, oh, you can't do that. Let me see your DNA results. Yeah. You know, it's all based on looks, which has a ridiculous amount of problems associated with it. But it is the factor involved in that. So it's, it's, it's and, largely to do with privilege and oppression, really. Yeah, and privilege and oppression are, are you know, a teeter-totter. As one group gets privilege, another group gets oppressed. Mm. Because it's it's barriers being put on others that aren't put on the privileged group. Mm. Um, so, yeah, sorry, figuring... There's a disconnect here also because how people perceive us and what categories they drop us into based on how we look is not always um, and I would say probably less than half the time in accordance with how we perceive ourselves nor our background in history you know mm. I mean really you don't know me no. not just from looking at me walking down the street but you will assume pile of things about me just because of my outward appearance and that's just being part of our modern racist society unfortunately yeah I know. um going to the chat quick um oh andy says she might disappear because she's waiting for a gp call um what is the topic for today impact culinary class it is cultural appropriation it's a fun topic um <laughs> And Andy, I saw a great explanation and a great way to deal with this by a YouTuber I've just found. This person is of a black British ancestry, and her take is that it's not individuals who misappropriate. It's when the mega companies who take and make money, etc. Um, yeah, I think this, this, so, this is where it came onto my radar the most, is, was the whole white sage debacle in America. Mm-hmm. And, and that's a key component, a very easy equation for, um, is this cultural appropriation? Is can the privileged group or the dominant group make money off of it while the minority group can't do the thing? Mm. If that's the case, then that is definitely cultural appropriation because there's a barrier here and there's a gain here. Mm. So the the white sage and the resource being sold and the appropriation of a sacred ceremony that the oppressed culture specifically said this is closed this is not an open practice you know um 
and then the minority culture not being able to profit from it, but also being barred from performing those ceremonies. Hmm. So it was illegal to perform those ceremonies in the United States up until the 1970s in some areas. Hmm. So while those, the, the big selling of all of the white sage didn't happen at exactly the same time, those events are definitely connected because that's when white sage was removed from native lands, over harvesting started happening, sales started happening. And all of that story, never did I mention Joe McWitch down the street and him using sage. Mm. Because it didn't have to do with one person. Yeah. It had to do with these big large systemic government kind of level forces and i think that's where where a lot of problem comes in and it's what what i find the most interesting actually is um specifically focused on the white sage because it's the simplest uh, example um you do have all these big companies that are ripping out the that they're over harvesting the plant um which is taking away from the native people of that land who use it as a sacred herb, as a sacred, you know, in their sacred ceremonies. Um, and they're just ripping it out and just selling it for whatever price they can because they can make a lot of money off it until it disappears. But on the other hand, you've got the native people who are quite happy to sell you white sage. Right. Um, so so you, you've got cultural appropriation. People are screaming cultural appropriation because the companies are ripping it out. But I can go, well, I can't because I'm in South Africa, but I could go <laughs> to a Native American person and say, can I buy white sage from you? And it wouldn't be a case of no, because you're a white man. Um, it would be a case of, yes, thank you for coming to me and actually considering me and, you know, the sacredness of, of this plant. Um, but then other people come along and they, you know, in different traditions and, you know, you're not allowed to even touch this. So it gets very confusing. <laughs> well, no, it doesn't. So we know okay. cultural appropriation is happening, right? And it's on this macro level. And we, as, as the micro level, as an individual, get to decide, do we want to participate in that or not? Mm, okay. Right? We see the teeter-totter has been tipped. We see bad things happening. We see the energy being misused and perverted. So there are some options. One is to just opt out of it and do not participate. But if you've seen the imbalance, if you've seen the harm as a witch and a healer, the logical thing would be to try to restore balance, mm. try to tip the scales. And hence comes things like, don't give your money to a big company that's raping the earth. Go give your money to the native people whose traditions these are, who want to sell it and support them directly. Mm -hmm. Because then you're, you're pushing back against this sick cycle that has emerged. So whenever <laughs> there's a situation like that, you have to see the big arc the big powers, the big forces that are happening and see where you as an individual can apply actual helpful healing 
kinds of things. Mm. So if it comes to something, and I'm gonna I'm gonna say hoodoo. Um, now, I for the past several years, I mean ten maybe more years, um, I've been studying hoodoo as best I can because uh, I don't have an actual teacher, so it has been a lot of self-study and rummaging through bits and pieces of information here and there. Um, but now with my practice, I don't just take the practices and use them. I have gone into the background of the ancestry and everything else, understood it and respected that as best I can, or what I think I can, um, and try to educate other people on that. But I, you know, I do understand that somebody who is an African American and practices hoodoo and is part of their ancestry and their tradition would probably be upset with me for doing this. But I am trying my best to actually educate people on this, um, you know, from their perspective. I can't going around in circles again. Um, I think you know what I'm trying to say. Yeah. So, so in that case, you know, are you erecting barriers for other people whose culture this is? And does the culture say it's closed? That's a big thing. Big, huge thing. Mm. You know, if you, if you go to the religious practice, spiritual practice, the cultural practices, and they say, hey, this is for absolutely everyone. You need no qualifications, just start practicing. Cool. Mm. You do so if you feel compelled. But if you go to a culture and they say, stop taking this from us. This doesn't belong to you. Then, no, it doesn't belong to you. You don't get to decide it does. Mm, but then who, who decides... Um, uh, see, but who is there's that no one person. person. I know that's the problem. Yeah, yeah. There's no one person, and um, it's all intersectional and it's all based on perception. If you grew up in a culture, but you don't fit the phenotype for it, then the people you grew up with will probably accept you hmm. because you grew up with them. You know, but there's still going to be assumptions when you're outside of that community that you grew up with about whether what you're doing is okay or not because of how people perceive you and so you know not every culture ha speaks with one voice not every community speaks with one voice and things change things absolutely change you know there are crises that come up for different peoples at different times and, and we learn new things and they go we thought this was okay but it turns out it's not so figuring out a definitive yes no from a culture like that we say ask the culture and see what they say you have to be able to listen with more than just an analytical mind mm. you know you have to look for what is happening to these people are they being oppressed? Or do I have a privilege they don't have? Mm. What is the big scale that we're on? Because all privilege is intersectional, all of it, just like, you know, it, it's all 
which boxes and categories do we get sorted into, therefore what barriers are given to us based on the overculture we're in. And that changes depending upon what culture you're in. I mean, we both live in modern Western cultures, but Kansas is different than South Africa. Mm. <laughs> you know, there are different assumptions and different barriers and different privileges. So in our online world, we may be in a space where we are pretty sure that, you know, we're on the, the right track. We're not taking from someone or causing someone's oppression, but somebody from a different culture may see that otherwise. Mm. So there's that too, you know, so it's all layers and bubbles and layers, but it's not, I think what a lot of people say it's very confusing because they want to go to an authority figure and say, is this permitted? You know, and if so, if somebody, if some authority figure says, yes, it's permitted, that's a get out of getting my attitude card or a get out of consequences card. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't exist. No, not You know, if you're going to do something, you're going to pay the coin. Mm. And in a world where life is not fair to everyone, where racism exists, where misogyny exists, where colonialism exists, and slave cultures, and this massive oppression, then we have to always look at that bigger web of energy and that bigger set of obstacles and privileges mm. and figure out where we are in comparison to what we are looking at because privilege itself is something you can't see it's very hard to see the absence of barriers that you've never seen yeah if you're living it you can't really see what's going on right yeah. that's um, why it's so important to have somebody tap you on the shoulder and go hey that's that's white privilege, mm. you know, or whatever it is. And mm. that's why they all have tags in front of them, because there's different kinds. Yeah. But, I mean, as far as hoodoo goes, I mean, the past, I'd say, five years, maybe a bit longer, um, there's just been a horde of books coming out uh, from root workers themselves. Uh, so they're making it public knowledge. So, you know... When somebody comes and along and says, says you, you cannot practice this, but it's there, it's on the internet, it's, I can buy a book and read it, um, you know, am I supposed well, to throw all my books away? <laughs> that's, that's the problem with so, the authority figure, there isn't one. <clears throat> there isn't one, and there isn't one in a lot of cultures, and cultures don't speak with one voice. Mm. They speak through individuals that have differing opinions. Um, so... Cultural appropriation, when we participate in it as an individual, involves things like giving support or speaking over. So the example earlier with the white sage, if we wanted to give support to cultural appropriation, we would buy white sage from the big companies, right? It's the wrong way to go. Mm. Um, and if it's not a, a money support issue where it's easy to see who's getting the money and who's not, you know, um, but if it's a dissemination of information, whether that's teaching, educating, uh, 
telling people what it is and isn't, that's speaking over. If it's not your place to speak for that culture, for that practice, then don't. Mm. Yeah. Okay. You know, um, if somebody asks you, if you need to educate somebody, somebody comes up and says, you know, um, can you tell me about this? Uh, recently, I had a, a group ask me to come and give a presentation on the effects of racism on our local community. And I was like, look at me. I'm not the person for that. Mm. You know, here's a list of black organizers in our community. Call them, you know, um, pay them. So I'm involved in those causes. I'm involved in the work that, you know, the organizers are doing, but I'm not the face of that movement. I should never be the face of that movement because people look at me and see me as white. Yeah. So in that case, you know, I, I did educate, but I educated by saying these people have more authority here. These people have experienced these barriers and this oppression, mm. you know, and it also directs the support to the right people, just as we talked about directing the money to the right people. Yeah. Um, that doesn't mean I can't study it. That yeah. doesn't mean we'll I can't buy books it. and read about it and attend classes by these people and, and pay them for giving me that information. That means buy books by people of that culture. That means take classes by people with the background and the authority and the authority comes from their own culture in hoodoo you know if the the community has granted them and honors the title of mambo mm. that's a good good sign that generally this community approves of this person's practices and how they're interacting and how they're representing their culture yeah um but it's just it's not my place to actually speak about it or publicly speak about it, let's put it that way. And that community granting authority doesn't always happen matching phenotype. So we can't assume based on how someone looks that, you know, that has or hasn't happened, but we can always investigate. That's why we have titles. That's why we have uh, priests and priestesses and those sort of things. And we can always Go ask their community. Look at their credentials. How long have you been practicing? Do you have a congregation? You know, just ask around. Find out if they're respected or not, like anything else. Yeah. You know. Uh, I'm just going to go back over to the chat. Um, Andy's talking about that uh, YouTuber still. Well, this is quite far in the chat, actually. Um, she was given a dressing down by a hoodoo practitioner who'd not seen her. So I am having, I am giggling about the gene card. Okay. Um, she said uh, the Welsh were suffering right up till my dad left school. The kids were beaten for speaking Welsh, and Nan, Nan had far worse done. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I live in South Africa. I mean, when I, we came to South Africa, it was sort of towards the end of the apartheid, but it was still very prevalent so I saw it here as well um, in fact an interesting story we hadn't even been here for a year 
and we had to do a, a school talk or, or talk in, in front of the class about our family history and now we've got an old family bible that's uh, from the 1700s and apparently it used to have a letter that uh, uh, spoke about my ancestry being uh, Mexican and so <laughs> I was going to go do the speech in class and my dad was terrified that I'd actually bring this up because at that time, if you weren't white, you were black. It doesn't matter if you were green, purple or whatever, you were labelled black. Um, he was absolutely terrified about that. Um, Nightshade, Purple Broom. Uh, I highly recommend reading Via Hedera's book on folkloric American witchcraft comes from the perspective of a multiracial, multicultural person. Uh, I'm definitely going to note that down, thanks. I haven't read that one. Um, Andrea's saying hello, hi. I think that the big companies are the best way to ask for permission from ancestors. Oh, sorry. I think that the big companies are the best way is to ask for permission from the ancestors. Yeah, I don't think the big companies are going to ask the ancestors, quite frankly. They don't give a damn. All they care about their ancestors, their magic, their god is their money. So. so here's another thing we're getting into. Um, cultural appropriation is when you participate in it. Okay? Mm. And in order to do that, you have to interact with other people somehow. Mm. Whether you're giving support to the big companies, where you're, whether you're speaking over uh, someone who actually has that rightful place, um, whether you're profiting off of exploitation, you're, you're actively doing something and it involves other people because it's a cultural, societal, social function. So it has to be driven through social means. Hmm. learning about something studying the information available um, taking up certain practices respectfully in your own private practice because they have inner meaning to you you know that's not necessarily cultural appropriation there's a little thin line right here of taking up a practice without proper study and the cultural appropriation happens when you try to pass that on to someone else. Mm. Uh, whether you you say it, it's you know culturally valid or you have the authority or whatever, but again, that line divides when you interact with someone else over it. He's loud today. Thank you. Got it. He's also got nice. something to say on this topic. <laughs> the mail has arrived. That's my doorbell. <laughs> so, I've had a lot of people come to me and say, you know, I've been looking into my ancestry. I've discovered I have this and this heritage. I'm really curious about it. I want to explore this culture, but I'm afraid. I'm going to get, I'm going to do something bad. I'm going to do cultural appropriation. I'm going to do the bad thing. So, you know, my advice is then go learn. Mm. Figure out 
is that culture closed or open? Do they have ideas about heritage and ancestry? Is that involved with genetics or is that involved with lines of adoption and being raised within the culture? Because what ancestry means differs from culture to culture. Hmm. So you need to go find out the, the practice you're looking at, the culture it's coming from. See what that is. Figure out those questions and then figure out where it is in modern times and what's happening to those people. Mm. Because it is rude. I will use rude because it's a very, very light <laughs> answer to this. To look into the history, do all this study, decide you want to pick up this practice and pick up this practice and never pay attention to how that culture developed and eventually emerged right now. Mm. And never listen to the people who, who have been in that line all along. How that line happens is hotly debated uh, because a lot of people want to say, you know, my culture, how I was brought up, says it is xyz therefore for everyone that inheritance happens through xyz mm. but we can't do that because that idea about cultural inheritance differs from culture to culture and being a basic respectful human being means letting people define themselves just as letting cultures define themselves yeah um one thing I have seen and people have noted um, is that when a culture actually shuts itself off so much, it eventually dies out. Um, I saw it with, uh, or almost saw it with the sand bushman here. I mean, I, I used to have discussions with a Zulu friend of mine, and one thing he actually noted was that in order for a Zulu person to actually teach someone else, they are only allowed in their tradition to take one person on, on at a time um, and that teaching could last the rest of their lifetime so in that lifetime they only have one student that they pass the, the traditions and knowledge onto um, and then all of a sudden the San Bushmen were in threat of dying out and they had to come into the public eye and I found it extremely sad but at the same time it was the only way they could actually survive um, two years ago I was um, uh, took a bit of a tour through Namibia and stuff and actually met a, a, a bushman he took us on the trail and everything else and I've, at one stage when they, 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 they do these, these tourist trips for people um, and at one stage they used to do take uh, the tourists on, into the um, uh, uh, giraffe dance um, it's one of their ceremonial dances um, and I, I, this is something I'd read about years ago and I really wanted to do it. So I said to him, can I participate in a draft dance? And he said, unfortunately, they've had to stop doing it for the public because it becomes a bit too dangerous. Um, so, you know, but they're, 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 having, they're having to do these tourist trips for, for the general public and trying to teach them as much as they can about their traditions and their old ways in order to actually survive. Otherwise, they, they would have just died out. It's, it's yeah. quite sad, really. It is quite sad. But we are looking at systemic oppression. 
Mm. We're looking at generations of systemic oppression when we talk about minority cultures and this power dynamic. And so as witches, when we look into this and we see that harm, I feel we're obligated to then try to restore balance, mm. try to correct that harm. And the way we do that is the opposite of cultural appropriation. It's cultural support. And the easiest way, the most immediate and effective way for people in majority cultures who have privilege, I mean, you know, uh, by our looks, we are in the some of the most privileged sections of our society. We may not mm -hmm. have class privilege, but we definitely have white passing privilege. And so the, the easiest way to do that cultural support is money. Everybody needs money to survive in our modern world. Everybody has bills to pay, mm. you know, and um, money is the way that uh, systemic oppression is managed for definitely the U.S., but many other Western cultures, too. Mm. So, you know, uh, putting your dollars uh, where uh, native peoples, indigenous peoples, minority mm. cultures are actually producing the products where they are teaching, where they are sharing, where they are doing fundraisers, mm. you know, and don't let it turn into the weird white savior complex stuff because that's not what it's about. Keep your ego out of it. Yeah, that actually becomes an you insult. Know. Yeah. yeah, but, you know, recognize that you're you're in the overculture, whether you want to be or not, because you have to participate with other people. Mm. So, you know, don't don't bring the individual and the ego into it. Just change your direction in that great stream of things every little bit you can yeah. so that you don't end up going down the asshole chute and creating more oppression. Mm. All right, it's coming up to 40 minutes. Should we take a quick break? Yeah. Coffee There's refill. a lot of people in the in the chat, it looks like today. So if anybody has questions about cultural appropriation or scenarios that they want to talk about, uh, please, please share them with us. We're, we're happy to dig into all of this and and chew on it. Might as well um, get in there and, and dance with our shadows while we can. <laughs> <laughs> So we will be back in about five to eight minutes with more tea and coffee and to see all of your lovely questions. See you just now. Hello, we're back. And it looks like we've had a little bit of talk in the chat. Let's have a look. Uh, I'm just going back. Uh, by the way, sorry for the miss. Uh, no, no we, we got that, Andy, don't worry. Um, I love the Khoisan Bushmen. Big farmers stealing the Hoodia plants from them. That was a white left, but yeah. Um, it's the same thing, really. Um, and I think yeah. with the, the actually this year they had uh, some great rainfall uh, in Kalahari and stuff, uh, which helped. They for several years they haven't had any rain, 
uh, they're a serious threat. Um, so, you know, well, yeah. no, harvesting was, was just not helping at all. Um, useless familiar, I'm a black man. I was interested in the occult back in the late 90s. The thing was, I was all also Wiccan. Uh, I felt strange trying to learn Celtic runes and an American black male. Um, so that's actually, an, that's actually interesting, actually, um, because I think you we find that in the northern traditions, okay, not all of them, um, but generally in the European witchcraft traditions and everything else, there doesn't seem to be that uh, discrimination, if I can put it that way. Well, I think part of the problem is the white version of the European pagan culture spreads more easily than anything else mm. because it's a white dominant culture. So the subculture operates more easily if it more closely matches the overculture. Mm. And unfortunately that has resulted in the the weird um celtic white um kind of paganism that is not overtly concerned with those things it's not in any teachings or anything else but that energy is definitely there mm. and it's much harder to find cultural practices or teachings in the pagan world or the occult world that are from minority cultures, oppressed cultures, brown people, because they are being oppressed. Mm. And therefore their culture is being oppressed. And it, it's not good, but so people entering into pagan communities, they get the most readily available information. Mm. And that is usually majority white to match the overculture. Um, Andy says, I was insulted recently when someone realized I was from the Roma culture. Um, do you mean somebody insulted you for being uh, of the Roma culture? Uh, I have to wait for the answer. Useless familiar, I eventually lost interest thinking this was a white thing. Uh, it wasn't until years later when my interest in the occult came back that I learned more of the hermetics and esoteric things beyond uh, race and culture. Yes. Uh, he says, yeah. uh, Andy says, say familiar, I, I gotta say Wicca is a bad word in my family. <laughs> Well, yeah, I think Wicca's Wick, Wick taken the, uh, you know, well, everybody's a Wicca now. <laughs> pop Wicca. I differentiate between traditional Wicca and Pop Wicca. We used to call it, you know, Book Wicca or Wiccanesque years back. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, we could talk about that at length, the diluting and the popularization and the whitewashing is part of that. Um, you know, uh, whether we use that to mean white people or we use that to mean just smoothing off the rush edges and making it more palatable to the overculture, mm. you know, but anyways, it, it's unfortunate and it, it screws up things, but 
Yeah. Um, useless familiar goes on to say, I just thought it was really lame, but it was the only thing out there uh, for me at the time. And also says, um, I wasn't mad or anything. I just thought I was copying someone else's culture based on being interested in it. And, and that's, that's a really common experience when we start to go look into these things and it comes with a bunch of culture that we didn't necessarily realize was there or that we, you know, go into and we have no history with. It's not how we grew up. It's not the culture we were given um, before that experience. And so it can very much feel um, kind of weirdly voyeuristic, mm. like, you know, I don't necessarily belong here. And um, that's one of those things to sit back and examine why. Why does it feel that way? And there's a lot of dynamics that'll go into that. Um, and I think it's very important to find out the culture that you're looking into. How do they define membership in their culture? You know, and how do they define authority in their culture? And based on those answers, would they accept you or not? Because sometimes, you know, some cultures define it based on uh, genetic ancestry, and so there is a great welcoming home. Some define it based on bonds of adoption. You know, some define it based on how you were raised. Did you experience this culture during your upbringing? Mm -hmm. And cultures have the right to define themselves. Um, and people move from culture to culture for a wide variety of reasons, you know, um, feeling that call, pull, interest, whatever you want to call it, attraction to another culture that isn't your own doesn't make you automatically a bad person. Mm. Um, but you got you to go about it the right way, the respectful way. I think there's also a bit of a problem when it comes to actually defining witch and witchcraft. Um, I mean, as far as we, we speak about European witchcraft, um, when we come to South Africa and the black people here, you call somebody a witch and you get burnt. Right. You know, um, but there are a lot more people I've seen coming on to um, like South African witchcraft Facebook groups and things who are black. Um, who do practice the traditional practices and are trying to identify as witch uh, in the same sense and terms as somebody in Europe, European witchcraft would do. Um, and it's difficult. It really is difficult because, you know, as I say, you've got this, this stigma attached to, to the whole thing in this country. And when I say people get burnt, I mean they literally get burnt alive. Uh, the houses get burnt down, they have to flee. If they get caught, they get tires put around them and set alight. Um, it's not a... It's no easy thing. Um, I think that Damon that I spoke about earlier, he's uh, quite active uh, in this, trying to actually resolve all the problems and everything else that's happening here. Uh, I think I'm getting a bit off track now. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, um, those are definitely forces of oppression and barriers that are part of the overculture there. 
Mm. And uh, we all have to decide how we want to engage with them, especially if they are barriers and oppression that are being applied to us or someone close to us. Mm. You know, um, it, it's, it's complex, but um, we have to look at the bigger forces at play. And we don't get a say in those in the moment. You know, I can't look at racism in the United States and be like, I don't like that, so I'm just going to ignore it exists. Mm. That's insane. You know, no, I don't like it. Yes, it's terribly uncomfortable. Yes, it makes me sick to my stomach to look at what is really happening. But I can't just pretend it's not there because it's not a big factor in my life. Yeah. That's that's ridiculous, especially as we talk about what it means to be a witch, what it means to be a magical practitioner. I mean, when we, we discussed what that is, we kept coming back again and again and again to some sort of healer, community healer, land healer, people healer. And these big systemic cancers and infections in our society desperately need that healing mm. desperately people are dying in horrific ways people are living in horrific ways that's not okay yeah. so you know we definitely don't want to support it and the thing is it is a cancer and a sickness in such a way that it makes itself invisible to many of the people who support it you know mm. privilege you can't see privilege you have to have somebody else tell you about it because somebody else can see those barriers. Yeah. You can't see the absence of them. So, you know, we, we often hit these very uncomfortable points where we realize, oh my God, I was contributing to and supporting that horrific thing. And we don't want that to be part of us. We don't ever want to say, I did that. Because if we knew better, we would do better. But we do it because it's built into the society. We've been trained to do it. It's It's got its own cloaking device. And no one's immune to that. Yeah, so, mean, you know. You were talking about cultural support. I mean, about a month, just over a month ago, I did a video on cultural appropriation back then as well. And... I honestly was hoping that some people would actually attack me in the comments. And the reason being that I do want to support these communities uh, in whatever way I can. And I think I'm supporting them. But as you've pointed out, I'm probably not. Um, so I needed somebody to actually say to me, you know, you can and cannot do this. But at the same time, that's one or two people talking. So then we come back to who's the authority. It's it's a whole, it's Absolutely. ogres and onions and layers and layers. <laughs> it is. It's layers and layers. It's layers and layers. And it's because privilege and oppression are intersectional. Mm. And you have to figure out those coordinates applicable to the issue at hand for everyone involved. Mm. You know? Uh, what power do they have? What power is removed from them? And, and in what spheres? So, you know, and one thing we talk about a lot in racist work is white people gather your own. Because the 
minority people have been screaming for years and years and years about all of these problems and you know the majority people aren't hearing it because they don't see it they don't have they have privilege mm. so but they will listen to somebody that shares their privilege they will listen to people with the same class privilege with the same passing privilege with the same sexual privilege all of those things because we feel a commonality with those people so that's why it's important to have these conversations when we're in that shared privilege space, you know, um, but we also have to listen to the people who are actually experiencing the problems, tell us what they really are. Mm. You can't go just look into it and think you can figure it out based on your experience because you didn't have those experiences. That's mm. what gives you privilege. So, you know, it's, it's not easy, um, but it's not something we can ethically avoid, in my opinion. Yeah. You can't just go, this is really hard. I'm going to put this down and not do this because it is the shadow work on a macro scale. Mm. You know, we talked about personal shadow work dealing with our own trauma and our own demons and our own inner things we hate but everything is as above so below and there's a big shadow side to the subcultures we're in and to the overcultures we're in and we have to use our extra powers of perception our extra understanding and compassion and you know those those things that set us apart and put us on the fringe for doing this big shadow work if you can see it you should heal it hmm. uh, one of the other things that came up in the comments um, was a lot of people saying that um, magic is not cultural appropriation and such things as the divine does not uh, diverse it or does not divide um, the problem there is that that's a bit too broad um, I mean, it's not taking particular practices from a culture that's cultural yeah. appropriation but when we're talking about magic broadly you know that's a completely different topic yeah M magic itself shows up in a wide variety of cultures and practicing magic itself can't be cultural appropriation because we haven't defined what culture it belongs to and mm. what culture the practitioner belongs to no. and that's you know, that's part of it. That's the scale, you, you know, which side has the power and which side has the, the lack of power. Mm. So, and, and the divine, the divine is the biggest concept we've got. <laughs> so we definitely can't, you know, narrow it down and, and isolate it. And these are all, all of these questions of cultural appropriation all involve around who's doing it where and in relation to what it's all a question of relationships mm. so if you take those individual bits out and start removing those classifiers we can't we can't have a conversation like are white people wearing dreadlocks and profiting off of it cultural appropriation yes but if i take out 
white and profiting off it. Are people wearing dreadlocks cultural appropriation? No. Not if I don't define which kind of people. Mm, I was actually going to bring, because, this, bring the dreadlocks thing up just now. <laughs> well, so, I mean, even the name dreadlocks. Um, you know, a lot of people don't like the name dreads because it has a very negative, very racist mm. background to that word. Um, some people much prefer just locks. But it is cultural appropriation for someone who is white and has white passing privilege to wear locks because there is oppression based on that um, hairstyle, that interaction. And hairstyles, if anybody sees you, you're, you're completing the interacting with other people thing. Mm. If you go out in public or anybody sees a picture of you with it, you have completed that part to throw it into the is this cultural appropriation. But, you know, I read an article, uh, had to be like 2019 because it was before the pandemic, about a young boy who went to school and his vice principal said his hair was terrible and cut his locks off in school without talking to the parents or anything. Mm. That's some serious oppression. That's abuse as well. Yeah. And people are regularly denied jobs because they have their hair in locks. There is a stigma that locks are dirty. They're not. Mm. You know, um, they are when people with the wrong kind of hair do it. Those aren't locks. Those are mats. And, you know, that it's not a protective hairstyle for hair like this. Mm. It's a protective hairstyle for people who have tight curl patterns. But so we look at the bigger story we look at what's happening on that macro level and we go, yeah, people are being oppressed for that. So I should not participate in that and support it by saying I have the privilege without the barriers, you know, so we can, we can see whether I think of myself as white or not, people see me and think I'm white. Therefore I can't do that. Okay. Now to play devil's advocate, Oh, there's another situation in this, I know. Okay. <laughs> so, dreadlocks were were um, first seen in the Indian cultures two, about 2,500 years ago. Um, there's also the Vikings who wore dreadlocks. Um, and a lot of um, Buddhist traditions actually uh, not allowed to, sh now to cut their hair because uh, it keeps the power or keeps the energy in, in, the, in the hair itself. And so. they grow dreadlocks. So if I were to, okay, I can't, obviously, but if I were to grow dreadlocks uh, as honor to my northern ancestors, you know, would I be seen as culturally oh. inappropriate? Yes, because Vikings never wore dreadlocks. Okay, um, well, I read it somewhere. So, some made-up <laughs> racist shit. Okay. Um, braids were very popular. Um, plated styles were very popular. There is no locking of hair like that or, or matting was in some cases but it wasn't like a high fashion common thing so vikings as a culture and as a job description did not have mm. dreadlocks um and yes there are plenty of indian um traditions going back a long time for different cultures where they have locked and matted hairstyles also that are uh resembling 
what we call dreadlocks uh, in the Western world. We can't so, really fit them in here anyway. Yeah. I'm assuming they would be placed into a minority group. I don't know how it works in India because I'm not part of that culture. True. I wouldn't be there. Yeah. So, but I'm not in India, so I can't use India's culture as the mm. basis for my decisions what to do in my culture. Mm. I have to act in the overculture where I participate with other people. That's the line. And in that line, I have to judge what that overculture is and how um, the privileges and oppressions are falling on me and the people around me. Mm. You know, and where I am, black people are denied job opportunities and support and education and all sorts of other things because of a hairstyle. Mm. Therefore, I should not be sporting that hairstyle. Yeah, and as you said, now, as you said, it's about placing yourself in the situation you're in right now. Right. You are. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, there's another thing is that is hard for a lot of people to navigate is passing privilege. I, I have friends that are black. They grew up black. They're from black families, but they got very light skin. And depending upon the situation, occasionally they pass for white. You know. Mm. And that brings up a whole host of things, and I'm not here to decide for them the right way through that. You know, having those passing privileges that don't match your culture is a whole huge situation. Mm. And I don't envy them having to navigate that. I, it sucks that the overculture imposes that bullshit upon people. Yeah. Um, do you want to have a hit at my, my comments over here? Sure. You mean me read them? Yeah. Okay, let's see where we were. Um, Andrea says, we need to learn and teach ourselves. Ancestors are a great way to learn about what is and isn't appropriate. I agree with that, Andrea, if that's what your culture says. But like we talked about, you can't necessarily apply that to other cultures because that might not be how they determine what is and isn't appropriate. Um, let's see. Useless Familiar says, one thing about meditation and magic is that you learn focus. I'm just not distracted with politics. I was surprised how well the LBRP really balances you out. And Andrea says, familiar, wise words. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's there's a lot of layers involved and I do um, hear from a lot of people the argument that this is all just political or identity politics and I understand that that can be frustrating to not want to be part of that political sphere and we don't have to necessarily engage in politics heavily but goes back to my same point if you see the harm then you should heal it in the way that you can yes. you know so as we say i mean we we are witches therefore we should help where we can um, i mean i hate politics myself um but you know we live in the world and politics is there it's you, yeah. you can't ignore it um, yeah. and same as the oppression that's happening to particular people in particular cultures you can either sit back and ignore it or do something about it 
Um, so it's about comes back to that healing again. Yeah. At the very least, don't participate in the harm. Mm. You know, at the very, very least, uh, I so many so many paths within the pagan community have some sort of ethical maxim that is do no harm. You know, mm. so we just have to become aware of it because we can't mm. always see it ourselves. Uh, Carrie says hi, hi Carrie, and Satanic Goat has popped up says, hello, Kai and Lee, we must always move forward and leave narrow-minded thinking behind. We are by pure luck, white, black, but not, being not stuck to the stereotype is pure personal work and positive evolution. Yeah. I actually remember reading years back, and somebody brought this up recently as well, um, in Lobsang Rampa's books. Now, he's not, the, he's not noted to be the most reliable source, but... Um, one thing he did say was that at some stage there's going to be a race of tan. Um, there's not going to be a race of black, white, yellow, etc., red, whatever. It's just going to be a race of tan. I don't know how true that is. Um, somebody else, somebody else mentioned it recently. I can't remember what they said. It was a completely different source, though. Uh, no, I can't remember. But yeah. Um... So we are by pure luck, white, black, etc. That's one of those things. Circumstances of birth. Those are the things that we don't have any control over. You know, were we born into a rich class or a poor class? White, black, you know, native, Asian. What languages did we speak? What physical body did we get? Does it have um disabilities does it have social disabilities you know what does it do or not do so those are the things where we look and we go you know they're societal uh stereotypes and um there are oppressions and mechanisms those are all the things upon which oppression and privilege are granted that we try to heal those harms because we don't have control over the circumstances of our birth. Mm. I think, uh, I mean, when it comes to racial discrimination and stuff, you know, you, you have your larger groups and then you have your individuals. And quite often the individual gets labeled as part of the large group when they may not be. Um, but at the same time, um, you get white people, and I'm, I'm guilty of it myself, where in the past I would have said something like, I don't see color. And quite honestly, that's insulting, because if I, yeah. don't, if I don't see someone's color, I don't recognize the, the problems I've been through and the oppression they've been through. Um, you know, I'm just, I'm trying to portray myself as somebody who, you know, accepts you because I don't see color, which is just, it's wrong. Um, and yeah, that's not the people, way to go about that. <laughs> yeah, and the, these are the types of things that we need to be pulled up on. And as you say, tapped on the shoulder and said, and somebody say, you know, that's not appropriate. And explain why. Um, a, lot yeah. of, a lot of the time, it's a slap in the face and say, do not say that again. And you sit in there, you go, I don't know why. I'm trying to help. So what's so, the problem? 
there's another thing going on there too. And when someone is in a position of oppression, and, and I'll talk first person here of being a trans person who's constantly misgendered. When somebody misgenders me, it's maybe the first time they've done it, right? And it was just a slip. They didn't mean anything, but it's how they think. It's probably the hundredth time I've experienced that this week. And mm. I am fed up to here with it. You know, every one of them hurts. Mm. Every microaggression hurts, right? And so this is not just like, you know, being flipped on the cheek at this point because it's happened a hundred times. It's like being punched in the face. So I react strongly because it hurts, mm. right? And I don't feel like educating the other person. They should know better. They should be a decent human being because, oh my God, I've been experiencing it so much. That's why when we have that per perception that it's an overreaction or it's not proportional, because it's not. The person with privilege hasn't experienced it. It was their one-time experience. The person with the oppression has experienced it so many times mm. so many times and you think about all of the microaggressions that happen to someone with multiple barriers because it's all intersectional nobody gets to be just one thing mm. right we have lots of different aspects of ourselves that are judged and either oppressed or privileged so when you're carrying around 20 buckets of being kicked and beaten all the time and somebody says one more thing it is totally reasonable to go shut the fuck up asshole mm. and walk away because you can't take anymore yeah. so you know on the other side of that to turn around as the person who made the slight and the microaggression and just got lashed out and go well teach me that sounds fucking insulting mm. right mm. oh i just hit you in the face and broke your back teach me why that happened mm. that's not the time for that if you don't know what happened go ask somebody go read a book google's a thing pay someone who is offering to provide that education mm. you know and if you receive that education passively there's a lot of people that give lectures and stuff and say if you learn something put something in my digital tip jar you can always do that too mm. pay it forward Participate in cultural support. The problem is when that does happen, um, you know, the, the the person says something they weren't aware of what the the insult that they're actually giving, they get the slap in the face, get told to fuck off, and then they go, well, you know, what's the point? You know, I'll, oh, just, yeah. I'll, just, I'll just go back to my little group and just forget about these people. I can't be bothered anymore. And then you get the, this, then then you get the divide happen again. Um, so yeah, it's it's difficult. It's not easy. It's not an easy thing at all. So, privilege is again not seeing the obstacles. Mm. Doesn't mean you don't see the obstacles just for you. You don't see them for other people either. You're blind. Mm. That's what you know. You don't see that. So, you know, you don't see the reason for their reaction. This is the same thing that happens when we talk about people who've been through trauma, because anybody who's experienced the oppression of racism or sexism or transphobia or homophobia has been through trauma, mm. right? And they have disproportional reactions because of trauma. 
So we need to be compassionate and realize we don't know what the person we're talking through, talking to is going through. I'll get all the words in the right order. <laughs> um, we don't know what they've experienced. We don't know how um, that trauma has affected them. So we should be compassionate. Mm. And when somebody lashes out at you like that, they have chosen your education as much as they can to their limits. Because the other option is to just say nothing and walk away. Mm. But if they've actually responded to you and pointed out you have caused harm, then they have educated you to the amount that they can, the amount that their trauma allows, and probably cause themselves some harm in the process. Mm. Because it's not easy to educate other people. It's not easy for the hundredth time to say something. You know, yeah. even if that doesn't include explaining and so on and so forth, it it is still emotional labor to respond. Mm. Yeah, so um, it's important to really to realize that, like with everything else, you know, my reaction is my reaction. Your reaction is your reaction. And um, treat people with compassion. Realize you don't know their story. You don't know what's going on. Mm. Recognize the gifts that are there, even when they don't come in packages you like. Yeah, patience, which is a big problem nowadays. I was saying earlier to somebody, we uh, live in an instant coffee and fast food society, so patience has kind of taken a back seat for everybody. But uh, yeah. actually something you said earlier about um, the practice of magic, um, oh, it's useless familiar, um, actually creating focus. Um, I think it's actually very important because that focus allows you to often become the observer and through that behavior you do tend to just step back a bit and go okay let me not react and just piss off and not give a shit anymore because now I've had a slap in the face let me actually try and figure out what's going on here it, it so I think you know practicing magic does give you that uh, that patience that we do need well to say that I won't help stop systemic oppression because this person wasn't nice to me mm. is some very self-centered, ego-driven logic. You've looked, you've seen systemic harm. You know it's happening. You know people are being harmed in horrific ways. You have a responsibility as someone who has seen that to help fix that. Mm. And then somebody's not nice to you. And you're like, ah, fuck it all. That's insane. I don't. I think that, that <laughs> you know, you'll probably find that person wasn't sincere, sincere to begin with in the first place. Um, well, they probably just picked, yeah. picked on some up on something and had a bit of a hero complex and decided to try and do something about it, and then got a rebuttal. And you know, you know, it's like saying I'm not, I'm not going to go do the garden work and remove all the thorn bushes from the hedgerow because I'm going to get scratched. Mm. Yeah, you know, you are trying to help people that have been traumatized, and you're probably still doing it. So, because we have privilege, because we can't see these barriers, because we can't see these oppressions, because we don't experience them ourselves, we're going to blunder. Mm. We're going to fall. We're going to make mistakes, and we're going to continue 
upholding the sick system because we were trained to uphold the sick system. So we have to unlearn it. And it's very important to realize that in that process, it's not about were you uncomfortable personally, you know, it's about dealing with the systemic harm. Mm. I think we better get back to the comments because they're going wild yeah, here. Yeah, people have been yeah. chatting away while we're jaw jacking here. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going to skim over some of these because uh, there's quite a few. Um, blah, blah. Melatonin det determines skin color, I thought. The location, proximity to the sun determines skin color. Hmm. Not really sure about that. Um, melanin. Melatonin is the chemical that makes you sleep. Melanin is what makes human skin darker. Oh, there you go. Melanin. Um, satanic goat. Is it possible not to be political? I mean, would you stand next to a Nazi, for example, and serve a common purpose? Hitler loved dogs. I do too, but hell no. Would never fight with him for animal rights. Uh, yeah, that becomes, you see, if I was standing next to a Nazi, I wouldn't give a shit, uh, what they loved, <laughs> personally. Um. So, the political is personal. Mm. And this is a perfect example of that. The political is grand scale big ideas like Nazis and loving dogs. The personal is you and Hitler. Right? And the political has become personal because Hitler is a strong supporter of Nazi ideology, which you find, I'm assuming, abhorrent. Right? So therefore you cannot unite a common cause. So the political immediately becomes personal when we apply it. And all of these questions of cultural appropriation are much the similar. We have to take the macro level and apply it to our personal level to figure out those sorts of things. We Political has a really bad taste in the word, especially in the U.S. I don't know about other cultures, mm. but, you know, we don't have a great history with it. But political is just the over-culture word the mainstream culture word for the social machinery and the way society organizes itself. It's not just government, but it's that big macro level that we're talking about. You know, looking at the big picture and political is the word that they use for that. The rules of society. Can we put it that way? Yeah. Yeah, so we always end up looking at both. The political and the personal are the macro and the micro, as above, so below. So I don't think you can ever extract one side or the other because they're two sides of the same coin. Hmm. Uh, Andy said it is the individuals who are either good, bad, and everything in between. Uh, always the individuals. But then again, you also get the, uh, the mobs, the, uh, you know, even a good person can get involved in a mob mind and become a bad person, even if it's temporary. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Kerry said, guilty, I screw this up all the time. 
Okay, now. Um, it's useless for many careful. I think we should be careful of fet fetishizing. Fet oh, bloody hell. Fetishization. Fetishizing. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> that yeah. fetishizing or exoticizing is rampant in that cultural power dynamic. The overculture um, exoticizes members of the subculture and it's stereotyping and it's racist or sexist or whatever it is. And that doesn't just turn into oppression and hate as that force moves through. It can also turn into fetishization, um, which is grossly exploitative and something that is again supported by that sick overculture that encourages those power dynamics. So because again of privilege, we have to watch out for that kind of response because that's seen as more positive as opposed to more negative, which turns down the hate kind of corridor. This turns down the love kind of corridor, but it's perverted because it's based in that, that sick cancer culture. Mm. So I, I, we must be very wary of that. Um, Yusuf Familia said, uh, I'm fascinated with Kabbalah, uh, so I can't assume every Jewish person I know is interested in talking about it. Uh, no, because not every Jewish person follows the Kabbalah. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. It, it's the same thing where, you know, as soon as you tell somebody you're gay, they ask if you know the one other gay person they know. Mm. Yeah, we all know everybody. <laughs> you know, that... That is not, not reasonable and not a reasonable assumption. Are you part of the club? No. Uh, Andy says she doesn't buy from big companies. Good for you. Um, always going to be a politics and spiritual religion should not be mixed. I'm um, going to strongly disagree with you there, Andy. Politics and spirituality um, should be mixed. Government and religion should not be mixed. But politics in the sense of I have to be a political creature because I have to participate in my culture. So I need to choose ways that do that, that result in balance and healing as opposed to harm and division. That's my interaction between my spirituality and my religion and politics. I feel obligated to participate in cultural support because of my spirituality and religion. I feel obligated to participate in healing the harms that I see in politics because of my spirituality and religion. I do not think that should be mandated. I do not think religion should be mandated by the government, but I don't think politics is the government. Mm -hmm. So there is a difference there. My spirituality and religion is a personal thing, an individual level, a microcosm level but it is, has to interact with the part of me that has to be part of the macrocosm in my culture. And that's, that's political. But when it comes to politics, government does get uh, pushed into that as well. Um, quite a lot. Uh, so, they, they, yeah. they make the rules and regulations. 
and we apparently have to live by them otherwise we we get labeled naughty and that, yep. that can be oppressive itself to everybody oh it absolutely can and it's i think compassion and love which are part of my spirituality and religion should inform the choices of the people as they determine their self-governance mm. that's what i will uphold and try to support within my politics that also leads to of course the paradox of tolerance not only in the way that it's usually used to describe why absolute tolerance will eventually support fascism but also in the way to understand that even though that's what i believe i have to support the right of other people to believe differently mm. but i don't want to support everyone's beliefs to the point that we end up with dominating culture full of beliefs that do not respect the right of individuals to live and have access to life and that's why we fight racism that's why we fight sexism to prevent that from happening so there is absolutely a paradox there with government and ideas and tolerance and everything else but witches uh, <laughs> holding and working within paradox is kind of our thing mm. yeah andrea said uh my bad sorry i wasn't explaining that very well yes governments are what i mean what i meant and i think i, I think kai's raised a very good point about uh what politics does actually mean um because everybody kind of when you say the word politics the brain immediately goes to government and uh, it's a bit more than that um, anyway We're, we pick over words all the time on this show and it's nothing personal it's just trying to get to a good conversation and figure out what we mean when we're talking to each other <laughs> sort so. out the semantics yes yes mm. but we're talking across different cultures we're talking across different experiences we're you know we're communicating across the divide as they say um so we're going to have to go back and forth on mm. terms on all sorts of stuff. Yeah. Well, today was a very serious topic. Next next week, I'm uh, I'm going to be showing you my shape shifting abilities. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> You got a cool filter on your camera? <laughs> I'll think of something. <laughs> think of something. Look! Cat ears! Yeah, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll grow a tail or something. <laughs> now, in all seriousness, next week we're going to talk about shape-shifting. And we'll see how much of a clown Lee really is. <laughs> <laughs> see? I don't even need to shape-shift. I'm already a clown. There you go. <laughs> So we're going to talk about shape-shifting. Um, I'm going to try and look up some references because I've heard some really wonderful lore stories on this that, you know, would be good to reference. But mm. get your, your shape-shifting questions ready and your experiences and stories. And if you still want to talk about cultural appropriation with us, you can always join us in our Facebook community group, The Wildwood Temple. Links are down below. We like to get together with other witches and talk about things, and that means more than just Lee and I. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> come join us there and have a chat. 
you can also uh, support us if you think this has been helpful and you'd like to throw a few bucks our way to help us continue to do this at buy me a coffee or on patreon and again links are down below and this will also be up as a podcast available tomorrow yep. on a wide variety of podcast platforms so just search up uh, black hat chat mm. and see if we're on your favorite podcaster and you should be able to find us that way mm. if we're did not, i miss anything else if we're not if we're not on your favorite podcast platform just let us know and i'll see if i can actually get us on there well, i guess uploaded to anchor anchor.fm so there's a, a few options there is that your dog or your stomach that's my dog <laughs> he's stretching <laughs> And he's just very talkative. <laughs> he's ready for me to come and pet him. <laughs> all right, then. So we'll see everybody So thank next you week. all for, for talking over this with us in the chat today. It's really awesome to have a dialogue. Mm. But we will be back next week. Same Black Hat chat time. Same Black Hat chat channels. We'll be here. Bye-bye, everybody.